Hi, and welcome to Destigmatize. I have with me here today, Adia, who is a fellow uh, MSW classmate. Thanks so much for being here, Adia. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yeah. How's it going? How are, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Um, I mean, as good as you can be on a Sunday, considering work starts again tomorrow. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel you. I was lucky enough to have this week off. Uh, so, yeah, my work just, I guess they were feeling generous. <laughs> wow. Nice. So, I can just focus on like school and finals. So I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for being here. The way I always like to start because I'm always curious um, how people like their first experience with mental health, like when they first learned what mental health was just as a concept. Um, Yeah, I would love to hear uh, your first encounters Um, So my first encounter with mental health was when I was very young. I was, um, I've grown up in India. I was about, I think, um, 12 years old. And that's kind of when I started first showing symptoms of having an anxiety disorder. But back then, I didn't really know what it was. So I had no idea, like, there were symptoms of having an anxiety attack, which was like stuff like chest pain and not being able to breathe. And, um, you know, like just different symptoms, fogginess, a lot of that happened. And I didn't really know what it was. Um, Mental health is extremely stigmatized in India. And I had a really hard time, like, communicating with my parents that there was something wrong. And I wasn't just throwing a tantrum because a lot of the times things like depression and anxiety can kind of be pushed under the rug. And seen as like, you know, this is just a person making excuses because they don't want to do work or like something like that. So I had my first experience with a therapist about um, when I was like in ninth grade and it was terrible. She was a very uh, harmful person. She tried to kind of um, give examples of her own life and uh, she was abused by family members. So she used to tell me that and I was a kid and I was extremely scarred. And she'd say stuff like, um, yeah, you don't even have it bad. I've had so much worse. And it, it was weird. So that was my first ever experience with a therapist. And I didn't really know what therapy was. So it wasn't until like many years later when I came to the U.S. for my college degree. And like I met my best friend here and um, she's from Turkey. And she kind of knew a lot more about mental health. And she was like, yeah, you know, that that is not what therapy is. Um, There's actual good therapists out there and you should go see them. So I went to my campus health center and they uh, connected me with somebody off campus. And that's the person I ended up staying with for like two years after that. And she really helped me. So we did CBT together. And um, yeah, that was kind of like the whole you know how my journey went yeah uh the finding the right therapist is such an important part in the journey like if you're starting to take that step and trying to heal yourself it's it's amazing how much the impact of having the right therapist can have and also vice versa of having the wrong therapist i personally was extremely lucky when I, i started therapy in like seventh grade I think my parents made me go when they were getting divorced, um, but like it turned out I really, I really needed it and I got so lucky, but I can't imagine starting off your experience and dealing with your mental health um, with, you know, someone who you don't feel comfortable with. What uh, did you know when you, when you, you said you first started having a panic attack around like 12 years old, was it something ongoing? Did you know what was happening? Did you recognize the feeling as anxiety? Could you talk a little bit more about that? Um, this is actually funny, but I used to think it's just something that happens. I didn't even know that this was an anxiety attack. I thought, yes, yeah, sometimes we just have chest pains. It's a thing. So it, it took me like a lot of like conversations with different people to realize that is not normal and you should not be feeling like that. And um, either there is something definitely very wrong. And I think the, that first example was 
when I had an anxiety attack in front of my mom and she thought I was going into cardiac arrest and that was not it. Um, I couldn't breathe and my chest was paining and I was kind of like, it was really bad. It was one of the worst anxiety attacks I've ever had. Um, I, I actually don't, I think that would be a panic attack, sorry, not an anxiety attack. And um, the next day we kind of went to the hospital and it was really when she was like told by an actual um, like neuropsychologist, yeah, that is, this is a problem. This is not something you should take lightly and she should definitely start medication and she should start therapy. And um, I think that's kind of when it hit her and she was like, yeah, okay, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we will take it a little more seriously from here. So uh, it took me a long time to get to that place for, for a majority of my um, teenage years. <laughs> I was just really confused. I didn't know what was happening. And um, every time I was kind of really, you know, triggered or my panic or anxiety would be triggered, it was just like, yeah, this is just, yeah, I'm just going to keep feeling like this. I didn't know what was happening. Do you have a sense of the types of things that were triggering panic attacks when you were younger? I now do. So back then I had no idea. So it took me like two to three years of like therapy with, with my, um, with who I'm seeing right now. And we spoke about triggers and I didn't even know what a trigger was. I, um, Unfortunately, I was extremely ignorant when I came into college. We, we thought like, you know, yeah, triggered is just like a word you use. And there were all of these jokes about being triggered. And we never really understood back then that being triggered is like a real phenomenon. It happens, it, um, you know, it could be an onset of anything and it can cause a serious reaction in your body. It can be psychosomatic. So those are things I didn't know back then. And um, it's only now that I kind of uh, have a better sense of them. Uh, I'm still actually discovering my triggers. So only last week we discovered a new trigger. So <laughs> it's an ongoing process, but yeah. Yeah. It took time. Could you talk about some of your triggers or at least the ones you're aware of if you feel comfortable? Um, sure. We don't have <laughs> to. Have to uh, I'll have to think about um, I think one of them is, um, so this is something that I, I guess I can share. When growing up, I, um, I wasn't the best student. I struggled a lot with my classes and a lot of it had to do with my mental health and like having really bad coping mechanisms. So I would kind of be hearing this narrative at home about how I'm not hardworking enough and um, I don't care about anything and I just want to have fun and all of that fun stuff that <laughs> is kind of stamped upon you. And um, now I've, it took me a long time to actually find a subject I'm passionate about and funnily enough, it ended up being psychology. So now that I know that I'm actually like actively working towards a goal and if uh, some, if sometimes in conversations it's implied that I don't care about my future, it, it can be triggering for me. And that has happened in um, arguments when like people are like, yeah, you don't really, you didn't look like you cared or something like that. It, so the thing about triggers is that it's never in like an expected way. It's not like, you know, you don't expect it to happen. It could be anything. It could be like something you see. It could be something you see on TV. It could be like something someone says to you. It could be something someone says not directed at you, but it could hit you in a different way. And that's kind of how I've been like seeing it come into play, but that's one of them. So kind of um, implying that I'm not hardworking enough, something like that, I guess. I, I don't really know how to put it into words, but it's around that, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. I I think I went through something kind of similar when I was younger because I had a really, really bad test anxiety and I felt like, you know, I was smart and a good student, you know, during class and then I would go to take tests and I would just like melt down. And um, I think I was having anxiety attacks at the time, although I didn't realize it. Um, but I would just like completely blank out and um, it was like a really, every time I would take a test, it was like a really intense experience and I internalized it. I would get a bad grade on a test and like think I was stupid and it really totally warped 
my sense of self and like how I viewed myself. Um, and it's so hard for other people around you to see those things um, and know how to respond in the right way. I mean, I didn't know I had test anxiety until much later in life. And I was going through uh, so many years of school just, and I don't know if it's similar in India, but there's so much emphasis on test taking in the U.S. and like it's standardized tests. Definitely like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that like feeling of needing to succeed and kind of prove yourself in that way, just because unfortunately, like so much value is as a kid is placed on how you perform in school, which is a whole nother problem, but another, probably another podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, no, I completely agree with that. And something that this is a real problem in India, like throughout, we have students, like one, some of the highest rate of suicides are seen among students and marks and emphasis on tests and grades. It's, it's a real problem, especially because, um, in, um, certain university systems, we have something called grade cutoffs. So in order to get accepted into that university you have to meet that cutoff grade and it's it's literally numbers like 98 percent 99 percent so there is a very small scope for mistake and as a student who's struggling it it can be extremely anxiety provoking because you have this burden of getting into like it's either you know the best or it's like a very mediocre place and there are people who cannot afford to go to places that are not like, you know, well, that are a little bit better, but they have a very high tuition rate. So it's, it's a real problem that so much emphasis is put on grades and um, not enough on like a more holistic development as a person. So as, as a student, there were th things that I was actually good at, like sports and like, you know, music, theater and no one really cares about that. If you're trying to get into those colleges, no one's going to be like, yeah, you sing really well. That definitely ends. So I, it's, that's kind of one of the reasons why I decided to attend college outside of India, because I, I knew I was not going to get into any good place there. And um, I also knew that like, I needed to get away from the atmosphere I was in during that time. And I think my parents also recognized that to an extent. So I'm really grateful that they chose to have me. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I, I think that's really, uh, it's really important and it speaks to, you know, who you are as a person that you were able to recognize that in yourself and, you know, take that step, take that positive step. It, it's, it's important to understand how your environment is playing a role in your mental health. And it sounds like you had a really good grasp on that and know that, and you knew that you needed to make a change. So that's, that's awesome. So how has, how, how have things changed for you uh, since you came here over time? I mean, it sounds like, you know, you, you started experiencing mental health issues pretty young. Was it ongoing um, and how did it change over time? Um. I, um, I've actually been experiencing something called dysthemia for a couple of years now. It's a seasonal depression. It doesn't literally mean it comes like every spring I will be depressed. It's not like that. It kind of comes and goes is what it means. Um, and I, I think over time I've become better at dealing with it. So in one of my newer internships in um, mental health, I was the, one of the first things that my supervisor told me is that we're teaching our clients to not live without anxiety, but to live with anxiety. And anxiety is a normal part of life. We just have to learn how to manage it. And that is something that really hit me because I've been, um, initially when I started therapy, I was like, yeah, why, why doesn't it stop? Like, why, why isn't it going away? And what I didn't realize back then is that you can't live a life without you know, feeling any anxiety or ever, you know, you know, being really sad. But depression isn't just that, right? It's, it's a variety of different symptoms. But like to me, when I initially started, I was very confused. And over time, um, 
I started realizing that I'm actually becoming better at coping with really difficult situations in my life. So something that, say, four years ago might have sent me into a complete panic mode, I'm now able to um, kind of think through better. I, I'm forgetting the word, um, but uh, rationalize. There you go. So I'm able to rationalize through those situations now. And I have picked up a lot of different coping mechanisms over time, stuff that's actually healthy. Not uh, so it used to be really unhealthy stuff like, you know, crying your problems away or like drinking it away or like just obsessively watching television for hours and ignoring everything else and not sleeping at all, all of those fun things. So it's turned into better things over time. I've turned to mindfulness. Um, I've been practicing meditation. Uh, I take walks now and that, uh, and I recently learned that there is a biological reason as to why walks help with panic attacks has to do with, um, uh, bilateral stimulation, some fun stuff you're going to learn in school, but uh, basically our, the, I, I hope I don't go into like this long explanation about like the left and no, right brain. No, go ahead. So please let me know if I'm I think just... this is really interesting stuff. So something I learned in one of my courses this uh, semester was that um, whenever we're having panic attacks, it has to do with the right side of your brain. And sometimes when you're in an anxiety or panic mode, the left side of your brain kind of goes offline. And in order to have, you know, you calm down and to get out of that state, we have to make it go online. And the left side of our brain deals with logical thinking. So there are activities like walking, like um, talking, reading. Uh, and there's a reason why people say, can you count from one to hundred or can you name all of the things around you when you're having a panic attack because it's supposed to help your left brain go online. And those are things that I've now started actively doing while realizing the reason behind them. And that's something I didn't ever do before. So these kind of things have really been helping me. Um, I'm not going to lie. The last few months have been horrible <laughs> with COVID and um, in, in any other case, had I not been getting therapy, I would have, uh, I would have not been able to handle it properly. Um, but I've been able to handle it really well the last few months, and it's mostly because of the coping mechanisms I've picked up. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Sorry. No, it's, that's, that's great. I think that's really important. An important thing to talk about is how these coping mechanisms actually work, like why they work. Um, and I think it's important to understand because I think it can help I think talking about that stuff can help motivate people to actually do the action because it's easy to say, oh, go for a walk, um, you know, have a conversation, uh, right. meditate. But if you start talking about why these things work and how there's actual science behind them, mm -hmm. I think it provides that extra information for some people that they need to say, okay, this isn't just someone uh repeating some random advice that they heard somewhere yeah so i think that's really helpful yeah, I, I i agree yeah i would love to hear a little bit about how you were able to start working on these coping mechanisms because i think for a lot of people they know a lot of these things but it can also be difficult to just take that first step right. do you have any thoughts or advice there um, something that really helped me and that I realize now might not be um, a regular resource for a lot of people is having a support system around me. So I, um, I really leaned on my two best friends. Um, I really had a lot of help from my therapist. And um, it wasn't really until like a year into therapy that I actually started actively practicing those coping mechanisms. So it took a lot of talking about it, a lot of thinking, and until it like literally became a subconscious thought, like, are you sure that this is how you want to handle this kind of thought that, you know, the probing that it takes to get you there. So one thing that I learned from that is being patient. Um, we, well, I, I wouldn't say we, but 
me in general, I'm a person who kind of wants results really fast and who wants to like get to the end point of the journey without really experiencing the journey. And that's something I've learned through the last few years to be more patient with myself about because I'm not just going to reach the end of the race without running the race. And as like oversimplified as it sounds, it's it you really do need to be patient with yourself because um, the brain is a part of our body. It's uh, and that's I think something people forget um, when we're talking about mental health. It's not it's not some pseudo term that's made up. <laughs> Um, if we had an injury or like we would be like, you know, just kind of let it bleed or would we go get it treated and like, you know, wait for it to get better. And that's kind of the attitude I needed to um, get while thinking about my own mental health, because uh, I used to just expect it like, yeah, um, that was one hour of therapy. I should be perfectly fine now. And that's not how it works. (laughs) And uh, it takes a long time. You have to create better habits and um yeah that's that's an attitude that I needed to um cultivate for myself because I was not being patient with myself for a long time in my life and um the impatience was adding to the anxiety just um it was it eventually became one of my triggers just you know why isn't it happening fast enough why am I still feeling this way and it really took me a lot of hard work to get to where I am right now it's it's not I mean people people I've heard people say this a lot um that you know oh yeah I I went through a lot of hardship and now I'm here and I don't hear people talking about how hard it was for those number of years or like those moments or just momentarily being in that state of mind and getting out of that. It takes a lot of hard work. Um, For someone who's having a panic attack, if they hear this, it might not be as helpful. But when when you do eventually get out of that panic attack and you re-enter those thoughts and you're like, and, and it, you know, eventually start creating this mindset it's it's only then that you're really going to learn to be patient with yourself and it took me a lot of time <laughs> so yeah i don't know if that made sense but yeah it made a lot of sense uh it's the, you brought up so many great important points the thing about comparing mental illness to physical illness it's i think it's a really great metaphor and you hear it pretty often it but it definitely bears repeating because the way we deal with mental illness, although, and mental health in general, although there's been a lot of improvement in the past, however many years, there's still so much more to go. And people still feel uncomfortable talking about their mental health in a way that they don't with physical health. And mm-hmm. I think. I, I think of it in like, until we get on the same page with those two things, until people can just like feel comfortable talking about their mental health issues the way they would say like, oh, I twisted my ankle, <laughs> you know, like then I, I think we have a lot yeah. of progress. No, um, I definitely agree with that. And um, I, I hope I'm not interrupting you. No, but please. um Something that I was just thinking about that uh, I've also been thinking about a lot since I started social work school is about decolonizing mental health and um, kind of realizing that we need trauma-informed systems of care. So for the people who might be like listening to this, who might not be um, citizens of the U.S., who might be people of color, it, we have to kind of be mindful about what kind of environment we're living in. A lot of people live in very traumatic environments. A lot of people have a lot of transgenerational trauma that passes down from their family members who may have gone through some horrible stuff. And I think that's something I didn't even know about until a few months ago. And I, that is something that has really been helping my, um, well, my way of dealing with mental health become better because it's it's helped me become more informed about things that might have been passed down from family members drama genes are real it's it's scientifically proven it is it's not something people make up and i think it 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 goes to like you really have to do that reflection about um 
what are the many reasons that might be contributing to me feeling this way? Because people often put the onus of their mental health on their own coping skills. It's not that you as a person are not good at coping with something. It's not that you're just like really bad at dealing with stress. It could have to do with the environment you're living in. It could have to do with so many other factors. It could be a lot of people are struggling economically. People might be living in a neighborhood where they're surrounded by people who are really bad influences. And I don't mean that in a stereotypical way. It could just be people who make comments. It could be uh, family members. It could be relatives. And I think when, once you're kind of aware of that, you can also work on your mental health a little bit better because you know that it's not your fault. Like a lot of the times I, um, I hear, and I'm sorry if I start ranting, but... <laughs> no, this is, I, this is what this podcast is for. <laughs> just follow your thoughts. Yeah, I, there are a lot of um, people who I'm going to see on social media who, who claim to be like mental health uh, advocates who kind of put the otis of recovery on the person who is going through the problem. And that's not a good way of handling it because something we're taught, like literally one of the first things we're taught is about like a biopsychosocial approach to things, knowing that things are not just a biologically made component. It's, it, it could do with so many more reasons and it's not your fault. And I think that is a mindset that we really need to work on because that's something that I kind of just push the blame deep inside. And I had so much guilt. I would be apologizing for everything I, would, I was doing. Uh, like, I, I would literally annoy people and they would be like, can you stop saying sorry? <laughs> and I would keep saying sorry for everything. So I think that's, that's something we really need to work on. And we don't talk about that enough. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. No, that's, that's amazing. Uh, and it's, I think it's especially important just because of the nature of most, most mental health issues are so surrounded by self-esteem and it's so difficult to look outside yourself when you're dealing with a mental health issue because it's, I mean, it's turning you inward at least that's always been my experience with it um and it's a i always call it like a negative feedback loop it's like you feel bad then your behavior this is my experience at least you, you feel bad then you start to uh maybe you don't do something that you normally do that you think is good for you like read or go for a walk or talk to your friends and then your behavior is kind of telling you, Oh, look, look at all these unhealthy things I'm doing. Like I'm so, why am I not able to do any of these things? Like I suck and it just, it gets worse and worse and worse. And you never think about what's happening outside of you, what your larger social environment is, how, uh, how your genes, what, what you were saying, the intergenerational trauma, how that interplays with it. There are so many different important factors that we need to examine with our mental health. And it's, and it, it, it bears repeating. We need a constant reminder about these things. Otherwise, it's, they'll be impossible to examine or address. Definitely. And um Something that we've been speaking a lot about in one of my classes this uh, semester is um, checking in about like your basic needs. So sometimes we literally might just be dehydrated or we might be hungry. And as um, that might sound oversimplified, but it's real. I've had so many anxious responses without realizing it's because I didn't eat that day or I haven't had enough sleep. And that might be contributing to why um, everything is feeling really triggering for me. And I think it's, we, there's a lot of work that we need to do. And especially in terms of psychoeducation, because so many people don't even know, they have no idea. And um, we often neglect our mental health in that way because literally having more glasses of water can help you feel better in a day and having enough sleep can help you feel better and 
it's it's real but we it's it could be really simple sometimes other times it's not that simple but the times when it is i i just wish more people knew about that um i recently faced this uh situation where i had a friend who was feeling uh extremely low and like she was in a she was in a very very bad place and i i just kind of asked her have you eaten yet and she said no i haven't eaten all day and it was evening and in my mind i was like well so, <laughs> but i i obviously i didn't say that it was it took a lot of you know gentle persuasion you know maybe try eating a little bit and it might help and it did help and once she ate and she kind of like you know she's like you know i'm feeling a little better now i don't know what it was and i i was like well i i think i do but <laughs> it's sometimes really that simple so yeah just wanted to no, that's, add that as well that's extremely valid uh and you know that that makes me think of just the whole idea of self-care and how that word has kind of been hijacked yep. um to mean a lot of different things that we don't have to get into but um <laughs> for people experiencing mental health issues the first questions you should be asking yourself are did i how is my sleep am i uh, mm -hmm. eating enough am i drinking enough am i exercising sometimes i'll be like whoa i didn't like i didn't move this week <laughs> like mm -hmm. no wonder i'm feeling sad like you need to you know just those basic things are so so important exactly and i think uh it's especially important right now during the COVID times when people are quarantined and there a lot of people are not able to go outside how are little ways in which you can you know manage to keep some semblance of normalcy in your life and I think walking even if it's inside your house like just going back and forth if you have that kind of a place and and honestly if you are able to take a walk outside wear your mask socially distance and go outside because it, it will help and I, I think we need to kind of keep reminding ourselves of these things because it's really easy to forget and uh, I totally understand what you mean about self-care because I, th I feel like a lot of people now associate self-care with doing face masks and painting your nails and that is not what self-care is I mean it could be self-care for some people but self-care is so much more than just two things that you see on Instagram all the time. It, it really, it self-care for me literally means kind of reflecting upon how well I have been taking care of myself that day or that week. Like, have I been eating enough? Have I been having enough water? I have an app on my phone now that reminds me to drink water. And it's, and it's been very informative because I've realized I'm not drinking water enough. <laughs> so it's like, have you drink, uh, have you had water yet? And I, and I'm like, no, I haven't. And that would be the sixth reminder that day. So that, that I think those kind of things really do help. And just like bringing those small changes in your life can also make you feel so much better. Yeah, that's so true. So um, you talked a little bit about how your uh, own personal struggle has changed over time. I could be remembering this wrong, but I feel like you were taught, you mentioned in class once about your struggle with depression in college. Am I yes. remembering that right? <laughs> I, I did. Um, I did struggle with it. Yes. <laughs> So, um, do yeah, you want could me you to... talk a little bit more about that and, and what you went through? Because I, I remember finding it interesting when you were talking about it. And yeah, I would just love to hear more about uh, what you went through during that time. And I, and I think I remember you talking about how, um, you know, when you started learning about psychology, like all these things became very clear to you. Yeah, that oh, for sure. Um, so when uh when i entered college i was very depressed extremely depressed and i had no idea what it was um and depression looked like in me that time like i wasn't sleeping at all i was um i was literally just 
surviving on three to four four hours of sleep and I would that would be my weekdays and like in the weekends I would just sleep throughout the weekend and I remember waking up on like Saturday evenings feeling like I missed the whole day and that was a really terrifying feeling uh, because then it kind of it would keep switching and then I, I there would be weekdays where I would just sleep through the whole day because I wasn't getting enough sleep and I would miss classes and I would wake up just feeling completely miserable and um, I think it had a lot to do with the decreased you know the decreased ability to like work and not eating properly not sleeping properly a lot of different things kind of feeling low and empty all the time and um, it it took me a lot of um, probing to realize that there was something wrong because at I remember there were there were two months where it just went by like that and I and I, I didn't even kind of stop and think is this a normal way to be living your life because when it was really when I started like you know doing badly in my classes and that my parents were really mad at me <laughs> and they were like what is wrong with you and um, that's kind of when I uh, sat down and you know and that's also around the time where I met um, my best friend here uh, and she she was really helpful for for me during that time she pushed me to kind of go and see campus health resources and it very slowly on almost at a snail pace I started getting better but it took a long time and um, it was I think the quarter after that because we had a quarter system that I took my first psychology class it was called psychology and religion and um, I was a business management economics student when I entered college and I hated it. So it was really my first psychology and religion class that I remember thinking, wow, this is a subject that I actually enjoy. What a, what a wonderful feeling. <laughs> because after almost a year into college, I hadn't ever experienced that with any of my classes. And um, I, I think something that really stood out was... Um, just knowing that like there are scientific reasons as to why we behave the way we do and I, the class was called psychology and religion for a reason because we were kind of talking about biases when it comes to religion and spirituality and how that impacts you and for me that was very profound during that time because i'm someone who grew up in in uh, an environment where um things were kind of like, yeah, you can speak that into existence or you can speak yourself out of feeling that way or if you pray, everything will be fine. And um, that's not how life works for most people because prayer can help to an extent, but when it's genuinely, when you have a mental illness and when it's impacting every part of your life, you can't pray it away. I mean, for most part, I haven't ever had that experience. I've not, not been able to pray myself into feeling good. So um, yeah, that was a very uh, profound class for me. And that's kind of where my interest in psychology began. And I changed my major. And what started with um, just a small spark of interest ended up becoming um, me actually feeling motivated to do stuff. And for a person who is depressed, that lack of motivation is a big problem. So that came from finding something I felt passionate about. And just being motivated to go to class was such a big deal for me because that meant that I'm not a complete failure. <laughs> there is something I like doing and there is uh, something I could be doing. I could see a future for myself finally. And when you're depressed, like, a lot of people are not able to see a future for themselves. They think this is it. This is how my life is going to be. I'm always going to be like this. Uh, I might as well. And those are thoughts I've had myself, which is why I talk about it right now. Just that I might as well end things now. Um, it's never going to get better. And I say it so casually now, but there have been times when I've been so deep in that um, wormhole. And just finding certain things that I enjoyed really helped me so much. So I think finding that motivation uh, started bringing about a balance in my life. I started sleeping a little bit earlier than I normally would. I started making it to my classes. I started getting better grades. And um, I started taking subjects that I actually cared about. 
and I start then I think eventually a year into that I did my first internship in that field and um it was it was so much more different because it was something I actually cared about and I think working with people made me realize that something I had really lacked back then was this need for genuine human connection and while I had that in a few friends it's something that really drove me it kind it was something i was passionate about i cared about making people feel better even when i was younger and i didn't realize that was something that could kind of drive my interest into the profession i'm in now and it's literally about um helping people deal with their mental health so i um i'm sorry that's a very long <laughs> answer but uh that's kind of how my um interest in that one class really helped kind of pave my way for you know my field now and um i guess now i'm in a slightly better place i am finally doing what i enjoy doing and i love this field so much because i've seen change happen in real time and i think that is something that is really inspiring for somebody who never had any hope that's incredible the idea of hope that you talk about is so 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 important for people struggling with depression also speaking from personal experience um it's it really is like the difference um i think and i think one of the ways which you were talking about to uh kind of uh, inspire hope in yourself is to look at how you're spending your time and think about are is the thing that you're spending your time doing is it is it giving you energy is it making you excited um, and those seem like simple questions but I think people a lot of people become detached from their work and uh or their or school um especially you know in undergrad when you kind of don't really know what you want to do yet and it's i think it's just so so important to constantly question that part of your life is is the way that you're spending your time giving you energy is it making you excited? Is it giving you hope for the future? Uh, and if you're depressed or anxious and the answer to that question is no, then it's absolutely worth re-examining. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. And I think um, knowing when to leave is such a struggle for people who are in that place because it takes a lot of courage to kind of quit something that you don't like. And uh, I think it's really oversimplified in media because you see these movies about people just like, I'm quitting my job. It's really not that easy, um, especially for, for people who might be um, struggling economically. If their job, whatever place they are in right now, is a stable source of income, it, it can take a lot to make that decision that you're ready to literally risk your sustainability and find something you prefer doing to, to that. So I think that is kind of when these resources help so much. That's kind of like, you know, not just then, but like even in other scenarios, but also especially then, um, because that's kind of where all of the biopsychosocial bio factors come into play because your environment is definitely um, impacting your capability to operate like a functional human being. And we don't, think about that too enough i feel and i think it's people think it's a myth that you can be doing something you like doing i don't think so um i don't think you can't be in a job you like being in and at the same time like you know have a normal life uh, i don't think there is like you know ever a tipping of balance it's just you have to work really hard to find that that's all so totally yeah. agree and i just want to add you know um, for most people, like it's going to be, it's not like a hundred percent amazing all the time, even in your dream job, like, right. of, of course, definitely um, agree. Yeah. yeah. And it takes, 
a lot, a lot of work to sometimes, again, speaking from personal experience, to find the thing that um, you're interested in and um, derive real meaning from. Um, I spent seven years almost looking for that. So, uh, and it's it's really, really helped me uh, being persistent um, despite all of the issues that I was going through of kind of just not giving up. And that is a result of my social environment of amazing support I've had um, of a lot of privilege I've had as well. Um, so I'm, I'm fortunate in a lot of ways. Um, and a lot of people aren't, don't have access to those things who are struggling with mental health issues. And, you know, a lot, it's a much more difficult situation and there's a lot more to talk about there. Um, just in terms of like what you mentioned resources. Yeah. I, I think those are all really, really important points. So we are approaching the end here. The last couple of questions uh, that I like okay. to ask. The first one is, and you, you talked quite a bit about this throughout the conversation, but uh, just general advice that you want to give to people who are struggling right now. And I know this is a little bit of a loaded question because it's so specific to the individual, mm. but talk, I, I like when people talk about their personal experience of what's helped them. And again, you do that a lot, but. Um, I will, I think I thought about this question a little bit, um, today morning and, um, I was just wondering what, what do I say if I'm asked to give advice because I don't really know what I'm doing sometimes. So, um, I think something that, uh, like I said already, like being patient is so important, but something else that really helped me, um, even when I was in high school and kind of like, you know, helped me hang on to that really tiny blink of hope was uh, music. And um, I think that coping mechanisms don't have to be some sort of like scientific directive. It can also be really simple things like listening to artists you really like or painting or watching movies that inspire you and something that helped me in high school was composing so I used to play um, the guitar and and the piano and I used to sing and uh, I used to write about all of my feelings in songs and that really helped me for a long time even though like it didn't actually I didn't think I was gonna like you know pursue music as um when I well when I graduated but in that time like in that moment that was the only thing that helped me process my feelings and now that looks a little bit different so that's over time it's changed to journaling it's um changed to talking to my therapist and processing my feelings that way but uh, I think if there is one activity just even like a single activity that you really enjoy and even if it's something that is criticized by other people, because I've had people like, well, I've had family members telling me you're wasting too much time and you should be studying or you should be doing something productive. But like, I don't think an hour or two hours a day is wasted if you're doing something you love. And if it's the only thing keeping you sane, keep doing it. So um, it's, it's, I think that that's like the one thing that really helped me in, in that time, because I know that approaching uh, help and asking for help is a very hard thing for a lot of people. And many people don't even have access to help. So um, if you don't know about any good therapist or if you don't think you can afford a therapist, there are still other things you can be doing on the side. There's a lot of free resources online. Um, something that really helped me in my uh, first year of college when I before I'd started therapy and when I was learning a little bit more about mental health was literally just going on YouTube and finding different videos about people talking about mental health and mental health struggles and that's that um, little bit of you know and it took a lot of pushing from um, my best friend during that time who'd keep talking about it uh, she knew a little bit more about um, and I think when, when we say mental health, it's not limited to depression and anxiety. There are many more issues that can 
that a person could be facing and on on whatever like you know the spectrum of like illnesses wherever you are at there is always something you can find and um i think looking for that little bit of information also helped me a lot during that time because it eventually it, it's what all of those things combined pushed me to go and approach for help so i think those are a few of the things that i really recommend and i think the most important thing is uh, out of all of these for me was just being patient and that is also one of the hardest things <laughs> because uh, patience is not a virtue for me so i i think just knowing that um trusting the journey and i think that is so oversimplified but it's actually very accurate trusting yourself and a lot of times you don't trust yourself i didn't but eventually i learned to trust myself and when i was able to get myself out of um panic attacks when i was able to do those coping mechanisms it i i did have these moments where i was like wow yeah i did that i'm feeling better and all by myself that feeling of pride when when you are able to accomplish those small things is also something you should really hype yourself up for because every small step is important and you don't have to you know become like the next mindfulness guru online to kind of uh <laughs> you know feel good about yourself you can still feel good about yourself even when you you know draw something nice or make a make a song or listen to music and you like doing that and you know it could be little moments where you're like oh i have a good taste in music and allow yourself to feel good about yourself and that's something that all i also still struggle with i am i sometimes really don't allow myself to feel good about myself and it's always met with like these um the internal dialogue that you were mentioning yeah why do i feel good about myself should i be feeling good about myself yes you should <laughs> we all should and uh that's something that i really recommend so yeah i think that's a bunch of different things i love all of that adia you're incredibly insightful and I think you're going to make an incredible social worker. So oh, thank you. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much um, for being here and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Same goes for you. Thank you.